a statement. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. That's a quote from author and theologian A.W. Tozer from his book, The Knowledge of the Holy. And I believe he's correct. Here's why. As Christians, you know, and we, we talk about this often here, as Christians, we're in this process of transformation, being transformed into the likeness of Christ our Lord. That's the journey that we're all on. But if our image of the Lord is wrong, is if, if our view of God is wrong, then the target is wrong. And we're seeking to be transformed into something that isn't real. So you have to have a right view of God in order to be on the right process of transformation. Wrong God, wrong life. Real God, real life. And it's vitally important because until you, until you know him as he is, the real God, you'll never become all that he has created you to be. And you're going to miss out on God's beautiful purpose for your life. And you're going to live a life of frustration because you're missing the mark all the time. I remember back in the early 1980s, Sandra and I had just moved over to Canada, and I was a bricklayer. And uh, a lot of the guys that I worked with back then were immigrants like myself from various places around the world. But I remember this one particular person. His name was Drago. I think it was short for Dragon. I mean, it's a cool name. He was from Yugoslavia. That's when Yugoslavia was Yugoslavia. And he was a bricklayer's helper. He was what we call a laborer. It's an extremely hard job. In fact, when they do these studies, you know, of work rates, it's right up there with the hardest of all jobs. And the helper's job is to get mortar, to get bricks, to get everything the bricklayer needs so that the bricklayer doesn't have to stop work. He just keeps going. And any time Drago was selected as your helper, it was like, no, not him. Why him? Why me? Can I have someone else? Drago was lazy, he was unmotivated, and he was very often just difficult to get along with. And he slowed everything down. And when you're up on the scaffold laying bricks, you don't want to stop because the foreman's watching, watching you. Maybe the boss is watching you. They don't like to have people standing around. So it's just extremely frustrating for the bricklayer when you've asked for bricks 20 minutes ago and you're still waiting for them. It was frustrating to work with Drago because Drago was a frustrated person. Now, here's why. I got to know him a little bit. And I discovered that back in Yugoslavia, he was a famous sculptor. A really famous sculptor. He showed me newspaper clippings. I couldn't read them. They were in Yugoslavian. But of him and these pieces of art, he met the president of the, com the country. I mean, he was well-known. And he'd been on national TV in Yugoslavia, but he knew back in those days, back in the 80s, that trouble was coming. Before I ever knew about this stuff, he said, war is coming. Yugoslavia is, is in trouble. And it was a communist country at that time, 
And he decided he needed to get out. Now, when you got out of a communist country, you had to escape. And you left with nothing. So Drago left Yugoslavia, made his way across to Canada, and now I'm working with him. He comes over. He's got nothing. He can't write English. He doesn't know how to read English. He could speak English, but it wasn't really that good. So that limited his prospects. So here he is up on the scaffold with me and a bunch of other bricklayers fetching mortar, fetching bricks. He was an intelligent man, an artist of great skill and incredible potential, and he's getting mortar and bricks for me. And I'm frustrated with him, and he's frustrated with me, and we're yelling at him, and he didn't do his job very well. Because he was living far below his purpose, far below his potential, far below his skills and his abilities. He's doing this when there's so much more potential in him. He hated what he was doing. All of that to say, as Christians, if we don't have a clear view of who we are in Christ and who Christ is in us, We will never live up to our full potential, and we will live frustrated, bitter lives, kind of like the poor life that Drago was living because he was living so far below his potential. If your view of the Lord is accurate, biblical, and real, and you are sincerely seeking and working to become Christ-like, then your life is real. Real God, real life. What did Jesus say? I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. But that begins with a right view of the Lord. So that's what we're going to be doing over the next four weeks. I decided to use 2 Peter as my passage of scripture. And um, I got into it and I've been studying it all week. You know that restaurant up in, uh, where is it, Amarillo? that serves the largest steak in the world, you pay for it first, right? (laughs) Well, I don't know if you pay for it first, but if you can eat the whole thing, it's free. That's kind of what's happened to me here. I got into 2 Peter. I thought, I've got four weeks to do this study, and and it's just so good, and I'm just loving it so much. It's like, too much, (laughs) too much, God. But we're going to be looking into 2 Peter. We'll see where we get. I called it Real God real life. And then I discovered somebody wrote a book called Real God, Real Life. If you've got the book, this isn't it. (laughs) So let me give you a little bit of background about 2 Peter, why I chose 2 Peter. Peter, as you know, was with Jesus. He is an eyewitness of the ministry of Jesus. He wasn't a prolific writer. There are only two books in the Bible or two letters that we know were from Peter, and they're easily identified because they're called 1 Peter and 2 Peter. That's a clue. 2 Peter, it's just three chapters, so I'm going to encourage you to read it. It's short chapters. In 2 Peter, he wrote it to refute, for, for a couple of reasons, to refute false teaching that was going on, false theology, people that had a wrong view of God, and to encourage people to live fully for Christ. 
Now, when he wrote this book, he knew he was about to die. We know from history that Peter was executed during the reign of Nero. So, and, and you'll see as we go through the book, he, he talks about this briefly. So there's an intensity in the book. He knows this is his last opportunity to encourage the churches to live up to the standard that Jesus Christ had laid out. So there, there, there's definitely an intensity and an urgency in this scripture. Now, Peter, more than most, understood the depths and the power of grace. He understood redemption because he was the one, you know, when Jesus came to him and, and said, someone's going to betray me, and Jesus, not me, Lord. I would never betray you, what we celebrated last week, right? If, if, man, I, I would die for you, Jesus. And then three times that night, he denies even knowing Jesus. And then Jesus restores him back. He comes back to him and three times he asks Peter if he loves him and he tells him to feed my sheep. And, and so Peter understands redemption. He also understood what it meant to live with a wrong view of Jesus. He was with Jesus. And when Jesus came to him and said, in a few days, they're going to arrest me. They're going to beat me, they're going to give false charges against me, and then they're going to execute me, but I'm going to come back again in three days after that. Jesus lays it out to him, what Easter's all about, and what does Peter say? No. Never. Never, Lord. That can't happen. He had a wrong view of Jesus. He wanted the happy, oh, it all turns out okay, Jesus. He didn't want the suffering Jesus. He wanted to get around that. So he understood what it meant to have a wrong view of, of, of Jesus. And we do the same thing sometimes. You know, gosh, I, I know I've talked to people that have got into, um, what's it called? Prosperity theology. Where they believe that if, if you're faithful to the Lord, the Lord will make you rich. And the more faithful you are, a.k.a. in those churches, the more you give, the more the Lord will give back to you. And I know people that have given huge sums of money expecting huge rewards that never came. There was only one person getting rich, the guy telling them about this kind of theology. If that's your view of God, God is going to disappoint you. Because that's not the real God. But we all do it. Sometimes we think God has to jump through our faith hoop. If I just pray enough, we take Jesus' words and we, we don't really understand them. If you've got faith the side of a mustard seed, you can tell this mountain to jump into the sea and it will be. When Jesus said that, he didn't mean that your faith overrides the Lord's will. He didn't have to jump through hoops for you. And if that's your idea of Jesus, that, man, I just, I just got to ask for it and I get it, your God is going to disappoint you because that's not a real view of God. And you could potentially lose your faith. So we're going to look at a lot of these things because that was exactly what was happening in the day of Second Peter. So let's get right into this. I'm reading from the New Living Translation, and I think all I got to was the first 12 verses or 13 verses says, this letter is from Simon Peter, a slave and apostle of Jesus Christ. 
I'm writing to you who share the same precious faith we have. This faith was given to you because of the justice and fairness of Jesus Christ, our God and our Savior. So Peter begins by identifying himself. He identifies his calling and he identifies those whom he is addressing this to. So this letter is addressed to God's people, okay, the church. It's a powerful introduction. He identifies himself as a slave. A slave has no rights. A slave has no identity outside of his owner. Headstrong Peter has moved from the one who rebuked the Lord to being a slave of the Lord. Whatever you say, Jesus, I'm there. A slave lives 100% for the will of the master. And you'll see in 2 Peter, he's pretty hard. He doesn't pull any punches in this scripture. So how did Peter move from this headstrong person to this person who becomes this slave to Jesus? Well, we're going to see. Verse 2, it says, May God give you more and more grace and peace as you grow in your knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. So right up front, Peter drops clues. The more you know the Lord, the greater you will understand the Lord. And the more you understand the Lord, grow in knowledge, the more you will experience his grace. And the more you experience his grace, the more you will experience his peace. When you really know God, you know peace. Because you know grace. You know love, you know forgiveness. You're getting into the heart of God. You know that he cares for broken you. And what Paul is describing here is a relationship that is grounded in love and grace. Satan's the condemner, isn't he? I mean, he just loves to remind us of our shortcomings, of our failings, and he will just keep reminding us. He loves that stuff. But Christ is the redeemer. He is the forgiver. You know, before you ever came to Christ, Christ knew your worst moment. Even if that happened after you came to Christ, which sometimes it is. He knew your worst moment before you ever came into a relationship with him. And he was there with the door opening, waiting to welcome you and tell you, I forgive all that stuff. I even forgive the stuff you keep doing. I forgive the stuff that keeps you awake at night. I forgive the stuff that you wish you could overcome and you can't overcome. I know you can't overcome it. And I forgive you of it because I love you. You see, condemnation will hold you down in chains. It will bind you up and it will make you ineffective in your Christian journey. Christ doesn't want you to be ineffective in your Christian journey. He says, you're broken. I knew you were broken at the get-go. Now get the work. That's the way it works. And, and we must remember, you know, I talk about this fully devoted follower of God, and for some reason, he's always over there. And I, and I shared this the other week. I think sometimes when we think about who we are to become like Christ, we see this spiritual giant 
man, I'm supposed to be this spiritual giant. And, and we're almost defeated at the get-go because there's no way I can ever be this spiritual giant. There's no spiritual giant over there. There's just broken you with a huge spirit behind you who is Jesus. He's the giant in the picture, not you. So stay encouraged. It's a journey, and I'm warning you up front because Peter gets pretty heavy on this stuff. All right, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. So you'll notice in this first passage, Peter keeps talking about knowledge, knowing God, knowing God, knowing God. Everything you need to succeed in your life comes through your knowledge of God. The more you know him, the better life you will have. His divine power has given us everything. That's the spiritual giant that's standing behind you. His divine power. Given us everything that we need to succeed in life. He carries on. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desire. So let's dig into that a minute. Share his divine nature and escape the corruption caused by human desire. So what does that mean? Share his divine nature. Does that mean become mini gods? I've got God's divine nature. I'm godlike. No, that's not what it means. This is all about the Spirit of God active in our lives through the Word of God. The Spirit of God active in our lives through the Word of God. Okay, there's a process here. And Peter is telling us that through our knowledge of God, as discovered in the Word of God, we have the power to live by the Spirit of God. That's his divine nature. So let me say that again. Through our, did I put it on there? Yes, good. Through our knowledge of God, as discovered in the Word of God, we have the power to live by the Spirit of God. This is very, very important. So let me give you a couple of examples. Hope I don't get too deep for you here. So the Holy Spirit. His divine nature prompts you to get deeper into his word. So you make this, this resolve that you're going to read the Bible for 15 minutes every day. I'm just, I'm just going to do this thing. 15 minutes every day. What precious promise can you cling to? To help you overcome the human desire to simply get up and go to work and not bother with the word, which is typically what happens. What promise from the word? It becomes a work of the spirit when obstacles are successfully overcome by trusting in the promises of God. Anything that the Holy Spirit calls you to do, there's a promise that's tied to that thing. So... For this one, for example, you could go to Psalm 1. Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked, or stand around with sinners, 
or join in with mockers, but they delight in the law of the Lord, the word of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. They are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their lives never wither and they prosper in all they do. So there's a promise from God that's tied to being in God's word. Now what you gotta do, you have to own it. You have to own the scripture. If you go out to my car right now, there's a scripture taped on my steering wheel. Sometimes God will bring me a passage of scripture that just, it speaks to me and I know it's something that he's doing in my life, so I'll print it out. I want to own that scripture so that any time I feel like deviating away, that scripture comes back to me. So you get up one morning and you think about the hundreds of things that you got to do today. And the thought enters your mind that your prosperity depends on getting off to work right now and not taking time for the word this morning. But as you own this scripture, at that point, the spirit within you comes to you and says, Psalm 1. This thought that Satan's just planted, you need to get out of here in a hurry, is overcome because you own this passage of scripture. It has become a part of you. I, I believe the person who takes the time to meditate on the word of God is like a tree planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither, and they prosper in all they do. I believe it. I've made it part of me. I'm taking my time to read God's Word of the morning because it's more important than the prosperity I'm going to get out there. you got to own it. It becomes a part of who you are. Here's another example. This I'm going to use this one because it's difficult. So 2023... We call it the year of living in faith. So you resolve at the beginning of the year of living in faith or maybe even halfway through the year of living in faith. I am going to live in financial obedience to God. It's one that many people struggle with. I struggled with it for years. And you've been thinking about this and I want to overcome the barriers. I want to be faithful with my money with God. So you resolve. I'm going to give 10% of my income to the church, as God said, and I'm going to give an additional 5% to other ministries. So Sandra and I, we tithe 10% of everything we get. If you give me a birthday gift, I give 10% of it. But we also have uh, a World Vision child. We have a Compassion International child. We give to the Benevolence Closet, which is all above and beyond that 10%. So we've, we've got two lots of giving that's going on. So what precious promises can you hold on to when Satan comes along and says, why are you giving all your money away? Well, 2 Corinthians 9.8, and God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. There's a promise of God that fits with this resolve. Acts 20, 35, it is more blessed to give than receive. Psalm 478, you have given me greater joy 
than those who have abundant harvests of grain and new wine. In peace I will lie down and sleep, for you alone, Lord, will keep me safe. Do you ever worry about money? People worry about money sometimes, right? Oh, my gosh, what's going to happen? And look, look, there's a scripture to hold on to. If I'm faithful to God, if I put God first in this, I got this scripture that I can hang on to. God, I'm going to trust you in this. These are his precious promises. So when that temptation comes along that you would have more peace and safety, more joy and more blessing if you didn't give so much of your money away, faith is going to step in. That scripture is going to step in and say, no, I believe the precious promises of God. I'm going to trust God in this. And you overcome that temptation to step away from the resolve that the Spirit put in you. So it's that Spirit working in you through the Word of God. You participate in His divine nature. All right, let's carry on here. In view of all this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. So right there. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence. And moral excellence with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with patient endurance, and patient endurance with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love for everyone. I get this image of Peter. He's writing this down, and all of a sudden, it's like the Holy Spirit wells up in him, and he says, oh yeah, and, 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 and. It's like, yeah, whoa, whoa, slow down, bud. <laughs> Maybe pick one. <laughs> It's just bubbling out of him because he knows I'm going to die soon and I want the best for you. I don't want you to fail like I failed, I think is on his mind. When I let Jesus down, it scarred me and it hurt me. I don't want you to live that way. I want you to live in victory. Now what he's doing here, this is a recipe for a fully devoted follower of Christ. It's like a big stew of devotion. Starts off with faith. Supplement your faith with. It's like a spoonful of this and a bit of that. And mix it all together. And I'm making fully devoted stew. (laughs) Moral excellence, knowledge, self-control, patient endurance, godliness, brotherly affection, and love for everyone. Now, I put two lists up there because the one on the right is from the NIV and the one on the left is from the New Living. And when I learned this passage of Scripture, which I did, I learned the NIV, and I like the NIV. So I thought I would put it up there. So it begins with faith. And then you add all these other characteristics, which are characteristics of a real God. The person that we are seeking to become like. So it starts off with faith. You add all these other ingredients. And what do you top it off with? Love. Love tops it off. That's the essence of it all. Make every effort. The the way that it reads in the NIV, it says, For this very reason... Make every effort to add to your faith goodness to goodness, knowledge, knowledge, self-control, self-control, perseverance, perseverance, godliness, godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. Make every effort. When you think of the word effort, what comes to mind? Work. I heard somebody say it. 
work, right? Hard work. Every effort means hard work. So Paul is really emphasizing here, hey, guess what, folks? You need to grow up in your faith. It takes hard work to follow Jesus Christ. It means you have to do something. You have to, you have, to have some level of discipline in your life. If you want to become Christ-like, if you want to grow in your faith, get up and get to work. Supplement your faith with moral excellence, knowledge, self-control, patient endurance, godliness, brotherly affection, and love for everyone. Now, we could do a whole weekend retreat on this, on this list right here. We're not. Well, we could, but we're not. You might want to pray and ask God. Which of these do you want me to work on? Which one is the one in my life, God, that I need to just put some focus on right now? And do a a study of the word, the actual word, if it's goodness. What does God mean by goodness? What promise can you find in the scripture that will strengthen this desire for goodness? It's kind of overwhelming to work on them all, but they're all supposed to be part of us. All right, look at the next line. The more you grow like this, it's an ongoing process. The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So it goes around in a big old circle. It starts off with knowledge of Christ. You get all this other stuff. You get more knowledge of Christ, and so you grow. Now, why would you want to be productive and useful in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ? Because it sounds like work. Work that you don't have time for. Here's why. Have you ever got... One of the great things about bricklaying was hard work. But when you got to the end of the day, you could look at something. You could see the work that you've done all day. You could see if it's good work or if it's bad work. And you can be proud of that work. It's kind of like, man, I feel good. When you get to the end of the day and you've done hard work, and you think back to the work you've done all day, how do you feel? Good? Yeah, you kind of feel good, don't you? Man, I accomplished some. My wife, she, she makes lists of everything. I swear she's got a list of her lists. And I can see the look of joy on her face when she checks off something. Done. Done. She's got a list for me. And she thinks that I take the same joy. I do. I do. (laughs) You feel good when you accomplish something that is good. Real God Real life, it is your destiny to be like Christ, to participate in the divine nature. Inside of you, embedded in you, is the Holy Spirit that Jesus gives to you on the day that you accept him as as your Lord and Savior. And the DNA of that Holy Spirit is in you. And it's the only thing 
that can bring you true satisfaction in life. You can spend your life chasing after a myriad of other things. You try and bring some level of satisfaction to your life. And, and they may, to some degree, work temporarily. But if you want to find true joy, lasting peace, and satisfaction for your soul, you will find it only in and through your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and your life dedicated to the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the only way that you will find true joy, true peace, true happiness, that you will get to the end of the days of your life and you'll look back and think, man, that was good. Thank you, Jesus. And Peter kind of ties up this little passage of Scripture with a warning. But those who fail to develop in this way are short-sighted or blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their old sins. They live in chains of guilt and condemnation. They can't see the forest for the trees. They stumble along blindly in in life, and we all know people like this. You just have the same conversations with them over and over and over. I just can't get my life on track. Yeah, you need to live for Jesus. Yeah, I know, but I just can't get my life on track. Yeah, I know, you need to live for Jesus. Put him first. Yeah, I know, and I just can't get my life on track. I know you need to live for Jesus. Yeah, but... <laughs> Nearsighted, blind, can't see it. They stay in the same trap and they can't get out of the trap because they can't get this simple principle in their head, I need to put Jesus first. So dear brothers and sisters, work hard to prove that you really are among those God has called and chosen. You have grace when you entered into this relationship with Jesus Christ, you have grace and you cannot lose the gift of eternal life that he has given you. But what Peter is saying is that if you're serious about this relationship with Jesus, we should be able to see it. It's not just Sunday morning, go to church. It's 24-7 living for Jesus. We should be able to see the evidence. Live in such a way that it proves to other people, I'm a follower of Christ. I don't need to tell you because you can see that I'm a follower of Christ. I've got all of these attributes that I'm working on. Starts off with faith. Goodness. I can't remember them all now. And it's topped off with love. And people see that in you. It's like, wow. So, dear brothers and sisters, work hard to prove that you really are among those God has called and chosen. Do these things, and you will never fall away. Then God will give you a grand entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. At the end of the days, when you look back at everything that Jesus has done through you, and you feel good about it, he comes to you and he says, yeah, that's nothing. You wait and see what I got for you now. Yeah, Jesus, I got a crown. I don't know how you're going to hold this thing up, man. It's an awesome crown. 
All right, so there's the beginning of Second Peter. I'm looking forward to the rest of it. So I encourage you to read it. It's three really short chapters. Uh, you can read it, in, honestly, you can read it in 15 minutes. But don't read it in 15 minutes. Well, I, I like to, here's how I like to, I like to read it in 15 minutes, get the big picture, and then I'll go back and dive into it. And this week, the more I dove into it, I thought I need eight weeks, but we have four. Hector. Uh, let me pray. Let me pray. Sorry. No, I changed my mind. Come on. No. <laughs> Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just give you thanks for Peter's enthusiasm. Uh, it, I mean, it just oozes out of this book. He just slaps us around the head, really, with all of this stuff. And he exhorts us to live this life for you. Father, we need that. Sometimes we just need to hear it passionately. It's easy for us to slip into complacent lives and not be the people that you've called us to be. Father, open our eyes so that we would see the real you. Show us in the scriptures, those passages of scripture we need that we can overcome temptation to live lackluster lives and live for you fully. Fill us up with your spirit, I pray, and encourage us to be all that you've called us to be. Pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. If I can have the